0: i'm peter cox and you're listening to defining boundaries welcome back to season two i hope you've enjoyed the past year of conversations from some amazing people from around the world within our geospatial community this year i look forward to many more conversations and i hope that you join me on my journey surveying the world one story at a time head over to my patreon site if you would like to support the show You can make a donation towards the purchase and upgrading of equipment, website subscriptions and file hosting. If you would like to join me to have a chat or you have a particular person from our industry that you would like to hear about, please send me a message. You'll find the link in the show notes and in my bio on all social media sites. So if you're ready, let's go. Grab your drink, sit back, relax and enjoy our chat.
1: Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox.
0: My guest today is Richard Cullen. Originally from New Zealand, Richard now lives in Wollongong, just south of Sydney in Australia. Growing up, he had aspirations of being a jeweller. Not sure what happened there, but I guess we'll soon find out. He has been in the industry for 25 years. Uh, He began his career in the spatial sciences sector with the Royal Australian Navy. You could say that he has had a few careers as he was a naval officer before moving to private industry. Richard is now the owner, director and senior hydrographic survey consultant of a small hydrographic surveying company, Hydrographic and Cadastral Survey, based in Wollongong. Richard has won a Navy Bronze Commendation And more recently, the Australasian Hydrographic Society Order of Merit for Service Achievement based on his activities on the Australasian Hydrographic Surveyor Certification Panel and the Hydrography Commission of SSSI. In his spare time, Richard enjoys fishing, go figure, computers and travel. His passion is to promote the advancement of the hydrographic surveying and surveyors in all industry sectors, that use hydrographic data in this niche area of specialised surveying. I've had the pleasure of working briefly with Richard before, and it is great to have him on the show today. Hi, Richard. Thank you so much for joining
1: me. Thanks for having me, Peter. It's great to be here. And let's talk about whatever we're going to talk about.
0: (laughs) All right, let's start with you were born in New Zealand.
1: Yes. Um, So I spent 16 years uh, in New Zealand growing up there mainly on farms. Um, so or South, uh, North Island. Island. Yeah. Uh North Island. Uh, just North of Auckland. Um, and so I had the freedom of farms and really enjoyed that sort of, that sort of life, you know, driving Mm. tractors and trucks and bulldozers and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, before before I could even get a driver's license, and back then you could get a driver's license at fifteen years of age, a full driver's license.
2: Oh wow! So when I
1: actually came to Australia and I went, ended up in Bathurst, and uh, I went to the um, uh, roads. Well, I don't know what it was called then, but anyway, roads and traffic. Yeah. Uh, and um, I applied for my uh, driver's license, and I was going. I was. Uh, 16 at the time and i went for a straight change over from my full new zealand license to my new south wales license and they said i um we don't know how to do this we've never had it. a full license transfer from a 15 year old before going to yeah. full license at 16 um but that's the rules we can uh, we can give you your full license so off oh, I wow. went full driver's license back then so that was that's good pretty cool so driving for a long time um mm. But, yeah, so back in New Zealand, uh, pig farms mainly, so yep. um, that sort of farming, uh, a bit there of There was cattle. the
0: farm near the water.
1: Uh, there was one farm in a place called Puhoy, uh-huh. and that was right on the river, and that's where I had one of my first boats wow. and um, used to travel up and down there fishing for snapper mm. and flounder and things mm. like that. That was nice. great. Um, yeah, so farm life was really good because it gave you the freedom to just to experiment and and be a kid, you know, and yeah. uh, enjoy your time out in the open. So <clears throat> from New Zealand, uh, you know, sixteen years there, so most of my childhood, came over to Australia and ended up in Geelong to start with. Um, and uh, in Geelong, I, I went to Geelong um, Grammar there. I didn't really like the setup that was there because when we had assemblies. There was girls on one side and boys on the other. And, <laughs> you know, you weren't allowed to mingle. And I thought, well, this is pretty weird stuff over here. I don't like this organisation. So I decided that I was going to get out of that and go with my dad building in construction industry.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. So I yeah. travelled around Australia a fair bit building um, prefabricated warehouses and factories um, uh, around all sorts of places out in the regional areas of Maureen and um, uh, Canberra, mm-hmm. uh, Wollongong, um, yeah, Victoria, everywhere, just driving around. Wherever they dropped off a shed or a warehouse, we'd go and put it up, my father and I.
2: Wow,
0: that's interesting. Um, mm. Did he actually own the farms over in in New Zealand or was yeah, he a builder yeah. over there as well? Or... <laughs>
1: well, Yeah he owned farms over there and, and dairies or, you know, yeah. shops, small um, uh, town shops and things like that. But also he did um, delve into building as well. Yeah, okay. um, we used to build garages together on occasion during the school oh, right. holidays, go out, learn the skills on, on the tools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were wooden, wooden garages, um, skyline garages is what they were called over there. Um, so did that and worked in shops quite regularly. Uh, my dad was ex-Navy, so he oh, okay. had some background in the Defence Force as well yep. as a supply officer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so hands-on everything. Yeah,
0: yeah. So sort of gave you a bit of experience in quite a few different things by the time you were sort of ready to think about what your next step was, is that?
1: Well, yeah, it was, it was <clears throat> I think the um, the move over to Australia and uh, and going around everywhere and seeing all sorts of different things was great. And uh, mm. um, But there came a time where my mum said, oh, you know, you've got to go and further your education. So what can you go and do? So she actually bought me a course in uh, hospitality management in Melbourne. So they left me in Geelong to live by myself. And uh, I think, what is it? I was 17 and a half or so. Mm.
2: Um
1: so you go, and, you go and live down there and catch a train up to Melbourne every day and go to your course. And so I ended up with a diploma in hospitality management out of a, an RTO in Melbourne.
0: Okay. Um, yeah. So when you came over and you went to school, so you didn't, did or didn't do your HSC? Uh,
1: so I started at my HSC level, uh, yeah. but I didn't like the school, so yeah. I, um, I quit that uh, and moved on.
0: Okay, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So hosp- Okay. So you said that you wanted to be a jeweler, but you've done hospitality. <laughs> your dad was in the navy, but he was also a builder. You've had that experience.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: What happened once you did your hospitality? Where did you go to from there? Like.
2: Right. So when I was in Geelong. You,
0: you didn't fill out my form properly because there's a lot more to you than you told me. <laughs>
1: I'm meant to surprise you if you know it all. <laughs> You'd be able to pose the questions. Ah. You can't work on the fly then. No, um, I can work l- on the fly. It's all good. Like RTK on the fly. <laughs> so, well, back in Geelong before I did my diploma, I'd gone around looking at... Let's rhyme, wind back a little bit more back mm-hmm. to New Zealand. I used to, I enjoyed just fooling around with little intricate things, you know, yeah. making yeah. circuit boards, putting okay. electronics together, um, pulling things apart, fixing them, etc.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I always liked jewellery. So I thought, you know, I'm going to go up and I'm going to be a jeweller. So when I actually got to Geelong, I, I looked around a few of the jewels there and went in to see if there was any apprenticeships available. but no one was really taking on any apprentices. So I thought, okay, well, can't can't keep looking, so I'll just go and do this course my mum's put me on, and yeah, hospitality management, and there you go. So I did that,
0: yeah, okay, and
1: mm.
0: then worked in hospitality for a while, or yeah, yeah. no, <laughs> <laughs> it's always good. You go and do you go and do that, and then you just totally just yep, done that, got something know, behind it, me, move on to the next thing. <laughs> that's
1: right. I, I met some people, made some friends, you know, and. Yeah. Uh, um, went back to building the construction stuff with my dad and ended up in Wollongong. Um, and there was another, it was like another year on or so and mm. said, right, okay, well, it's time to do something different. So I think I'll just go and join the, join the Navy while I was in Wollongong. And he said, oh, okay, okay. So I went down, to the, went down to the recruitment office here in Wollongong and uh, went in and there was a chief petty officer in there. Uh, taking the interviews, and he said, um, you know, what do you want to do, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I want to be an officer in the Navy. And he said, oh, okay, all right, yeah, well, well what, um, what's your qualifications? And I said, oh, I've got my school certificate from New Zealand, and uh, I was doing my doing my HSC, but I, I never finished that. He said, oh, you can't be an officer without your HSC. You're never going to be an officer without that. So I said, okay, um, well, in that case, uh, I'll come back in a year and I'll um, apply again. Uh, he said, what do, you, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm just going to do my HSC down at Wollongong TAFE. Yeah. And he said, oh, okay. So I left that and I went and did um, my <laughs> HSC at Wollongong TAFE two years in one. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. And while cool. I was doing that, that's when I worked hospitality,
0: <laughs>
1: as we all students <laughs> Get do. that
0: little bit of extra,
1: that's extra right. cash
0: to keep you going. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So I worked at a place called Cleo's in Wollongong.
0: Oh, I've heard of that place. And.
1: Cleo's is over by Wind Stadium, and it was um, it was a it was a nightclub, convention centre, and mm-hmm. cafe down below. Um, so, cafe down the bottom, nightclub, restaurant up to convention centre at the top, um, and uh, it went through many bosses at the time. One of my bosses was Susie Elliman. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
0: was going to say probably people who um, didn't come from down the coast. Probably wouldn't even know who you're talking about. <laughs> no, but she did
1: end up on a stint uh, in the last few years on radio, and she also did another TV mm. um, in the morning, one of the morning shows. But
2: yeah, okay. drifted
1: off, drifted off the scene again.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a, a definitely a, a name from. She was on everything on our TV. Yeah, that's coast, right. So yeah. yeah, exactly. Cool. All and right. So HSC done. Back to HSC the Navy. done.
1: Yeah. Joined up the Navy in 1991, Mm -hmm. rolled into the academy down in Canberra for three years, Um, did a degree in management and politics, so with a sub-major in in geography. Okay. You see, in in those degrees, you had to blend. If you're doing a science degree, you had to blend in arts, and if you're doing an arts degree, you had to blend in science.
2: Right.
1: So I did mine Mm -hmm. in geography, and I found it really interesting because... I did remote sensing as one of my courses for one of the the semesters. And uh, we're looking at all the spot satellites and all the imagery coming out of there and we're doing analysis of them, you know, changing the colors and identifying vegetation and mapping things out and finding applications for remote sensed data. Mm. So that was really interesting. Then I did social geography, which dealt with where people live and, and social environments, you know, high-density living, medium-density, and, and looking at relationships like that within society. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was good. Came out with that and uh, moved straight on to the ships mm-hmm. in, 19, uh, sorry, in yeah, uh, 1993, graduation, yeah. so onto the ships after that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, to learn how to drive the ships. Um, they called them the seaman officer back then. So that was, you know, being the officer of the watch and and driving the warships uh, as a trainee.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. So when you did that, did that sort of take you to different places?
1: Yeah, I went a few places, yeah. um, mainly around Australia. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> went to um, across the Bass Strait once, didn't like that. Uh, <laughs> pretty rough. <laughs> Went to New Zealand a couple of times. That was a good opportunity for me to pick up all the stuff I'd left there. So I brought it on oh. the ship, brought really? it all home with me.
0: <laughs> How funny.
1: <laughs> I Actually, I left the lights on in my nana's garage and she complained when she got home that the lights were still on. <laughs> I, said, so I probably, swear I'd turn those off.
0: Probably a bit hard to turn around and go and turn them off too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was. <clears throat>
1: yeah. Yeah, so that, that training was a couple of years, but um, mm-hmm. during that time I ended up, you know, they said, "Oh, you know, where do you want to go, etc." Um, it was actually a period of time where they where they took you through um, a trip around Australia as as the third years in the academy to experience other parts of defence and look oh, at okay. look at other areas where you mm-hmm. could potentially be posted. Um, and we ended up at the Hydrographic School in HMS Penguin in mm-hmm. Mossman, um, <clears throat> and uh, I went through there. And I found that really interesting because of all these things and um, high-tech equipment, you get to make decisions, you get to do things independently, and it's something that you could actually provide a product for that was useful. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, so um, I looked at that and then I spoke to one of the instructors there, actually, the, I think it was the 2IC at the time, and I said, "Look, like, what do I need to do to get into this? He said, oh, you need a science degree in preferably oceanography. And I went, oh, well, I'm not doing that. I'm doing an arts degree, some major in geography. So this is one of these other stories about don't like the HSC, I'll go and get my HSC, etc. No, I don't go and get a science degree. So don't <laughs> worry
0: about it. I was waiting, I was <laughs> waiting for it. what, what <laughs> surprises are you going to give me now? <laughs> it's,
1: it's how you work your way around things and, mm-hmm. and convince the right people at the right time. Mm-hmm. So um, back on the ships after we do our basic training of seamanship, we we get posted to a ship to then consolidate your skills and get your ticket, what they call the ticket. Mm-hmm. So I ended up on HMS. well, I elected to go to a survey ship and they said, well, HMAS is available and that's over in Western Australia. So I said, okay, that's great. I'll go over there. And um, so I got on HMAS Moresby and uh, sailed around on, on that, doing surveys around Australia for a while. Uh, met up with a great crew over there. <coughs> um, and uh, then the director of hydrographic operations um, was on board one day, having an interview with all the hydrographic officers that were there and uh, I asked for an interview with him and said oh yeah I'd really love to do this etc and uh, he said well why can't you and I said well they told me at the school I'd have a science degree preferably in oceanography he said Oh, don't worry about that we'll have you in next year so off I went did hydrography the year after
0: (laughs) nice yeah so it's always being choosing the the right path and being at the right place at the right time sometimes isn't it
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. you got to be you got to be focused about what you want as well, and you have got to you know just make sure you ask the, ask the right people at the right time.
0: Yeah, you know? yeah. Get your
1: foot in the door. Yeah, show some interest.
0: Yeah. So, how long did it take you to do your course then? So back now, over course, here at Mossman.
1: Yeah, over in Mossman. Yeah. So that yeah. that takes six months,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that's a six month training course from eight in the morning through to uh, four pm sixteen hundred. Every day for six months. So not part-time, not at TAFE one or two hours a day or whatever, or at uni for a Mm. few things just to get a degree. It's full on. Uh, Also included weekends where you had to go away on camps or other things like that and -hmm. and practice what you've been taught in the the classroom. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, that's cool. So that would have taken you to, what, late
2: 90s?
1: So that was, that was uh, 96. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 97, um, well, so end of 96 out of that course and ready to go for your next, next posting to a hydrographic ship. So off I went, uh, where did I go to there? Um, oh yeah, went back to Moresby. So I went back to Moresby, um, and, um, Saw HMS HMAS Moresby decommissioned, so I was there at the decommissioning of her. Oh, okay.
2: Um,
1: and I think she became a uh, medical ship sailing around the world after that. Um, yeah. Oh, so that that's
0: a nice way to retire for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So from yeah. there, over to Cairns to what they have, the SMLs, Survey Motor Launches, um, mm-hmm. Where I was going to take over there is one of the executive officers on on that, so second in charge of one of the small survey ships. Um, in in the interim before being able to join that I ended up on the laser airborne depth sounder uh, which uses red and green lasers to um, sound the the waters around the the reef systems and so forth Um, so the green laser is the one that penetrates and the red red infrared ray bounces off the surface and provides you the surface return and the difference between the two is the depth
0: okay that's pretty cool
1: yeah so I did that, and just while I was waiting to get onto my ship, and then I joined my ship, stayed on Benalla, HMAS Benalla, for a couple of years, and then down to the hydro school in Penguin, where I was the um, second in charge down there, and and started teaching hydrography. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Okay. And did you stay teaching for a while? Because I know that that's a bit of your passion is to <clears throat> to educate yeah, yeah. people.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. So taught there for two years. Yep. Uh, and then. Um, I went, went for the competitive position of having an exchange over in the UK to go and do the long the long hydrographic course, which is the mm. the one above. So in, in Penguin, we, we do the Category B course, which is the equivalent to the Certified Level 2 course. Yep. Um, and that's the lower of the skill bases. And then the, you go and do the long course, which is the Category A course. It's now called a 5A course. Um, and that's... That's your deep knowledge, uh, where you learn more of the in-depth theory and and everything. And you have more like papers you're meant to prepare under uh-huh. a new syllabus for that sort of thing. So it's more of a university-based yeah. um structure. Yeah.
0: But you yeah. had to go to England to do that.
1: You didn't have do to. That. I mean, that's an exchange. You could you could have okay. gone to um, at the time, um, I don't think they will sending anyone to Otago at the time, but New Zealand had a course running, which was certified internationally. Mm. Um, they stopped that a few, well, maybe 10 years ago now, they stopped mm. that certification, but they still teach some hydrographic stuff. But to get on the long course and actually everyone would go to the long course and just do the course and then come back to Australia. It's the exchange component oh. that everyone was competitive for. So
0: yeah, okay,
1: you'd go on the course and then you'd stay there for 18 extra months or two years.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Did you get that? Yeah, I got that. What's <laughs> That's a silly question. What was I thinking? No, it's not a silly
1: question. It's competitive. But, again, yeah. you, you, you know, you've, you've got to be a person who, who shows the enthusiasm for your profession to be rewarded for those activities. Mm. You know? mm-hmm. um, if you're a person who sits back and does the job of surveying or, or whatever job you're doing just because it's a job, and you don't have a passion for it, and you don't bother learning about things in your own time, or willing to invest time in your profession outside of your employer's activities.
0: Yeah,
1: it's not—it's not something that you're really truly interested in, is it? No.
0: So, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, if you if yeah if you show show that enthusiasm, you're going to get more back in return. I think mm. definitely. So you've just like been everywhere.
1: I've been a few places.
0: <laughs> did you so when you did your um your exchange over in England, so you were with the Navy over there? Yep. Or, or yeah, okay.
1: Yeah. So I was the um so after I finished the the long hydrographic course, I did a review of their course independently, wasn't asked to do it, but I did that. Um, and yeah, it could have done with some improvement in the in the course, and I, I provided them with that feedback as a course critique, which was all mm-hmm. good and taken on, and, and and that moved forward for them, um, because I just come out of the training background, right? So they had some yes. independent insight into yeah. the expectations of course structures and and things like that, which was great. But after that, I ended up on HMS or HMS Roebuck which was a survey vessel there. just That had just come back from the Gulf and, and had been doing stuff over there. Um, and uh, I spent a little bit of time on there and probably only a few weeks. And then I was offered to take over as the commanding officer of a couple of the naval parties or one of the naval parties in the UK,
2: wow. which was a
1: great opportunity because it yeah. was a civilian chartered vessel with a Navy surveying crew. Okay. So this one was, the first one was called uh, Naval Party 1008, which was a single beam, side scan type of ship, uh, but quite a large one. And it was operating out of the 4th of Firth, uh, which is up near Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we had great time up there surveying areas around there just with single beam. So they had multi-beam available back then, but Mm -hmm. single beam was the way this one was set up.
0: So when so how big was that boat?
1: Oh, um, I've got a pamphlet in here. I can't recall how large it was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you could pause, and I could get the plan out was for it you.
0: Ten was it ten? <laughs> no, it feet, was thirty. 50?
1: It was about seventy meters. Okay. Seventy meters or so. Mm-hmm. So it was a large one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then navy started their navy the Royal Navy started to start to think to itself, you know, um, why are we doing these activities, you know, blended commercial Navy sort of activities? One of the philosophies I always have with this is it's great to have that sort of interaction with commercial industry from the military's side of things, because it provides you a different skill set, a different knowledge of how things operate. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: and it allows you to operate uh, much better in that combined or mixed environment. Mm -hmm. very much like they consider the the tri-service environment, which is Army, Air Force and Navy operating together. Yeah, Um, okay. And they like to get that from their reservists, but I don't see it implemented really that well um, most of the time. Um, So they thought, well, what are we doing with this Navy team? All that money's going in there. Let's cut that away. So they actually cut away 1,008 and I ended up... um, uh, Demobilising 1008, so effectively decommissioning it in a way.
2: Yep.
1: Uh, disbanding the unit is what it was called.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so we did that in Portsmouth and had a great little ceremony there. And um, then I then they said, "Oh, well, you've just finished that. Why don't you go and take over as commanding officer of Naval Party 1016?" So I went away and took over that one. And that one was running out of um, a little place called uh, Lowestoft and. Um, uh, just on the east coast again, and Great Yarmouth. mainly out of Great Yarmouth. Um, and um, that was a dual-head EM3000 Kongsberg multi-beam system.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and uh, during that phase, the software wasn't particularly robust and there was another software out there called, um won't, won't name its name. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. it was much better. So.
3: You can <laughs> name
1: no <nice>. <laughs> So I got that one on board, and it was something that the Navy was starting to move into. So I actually wrote their, their first lot of instructions with a guy called David Parker, who works at the uh, United Kingdom Hydrographic Office. And mm-hmm. so we developed the first multi-beam um, specifications for the Royal Navy use on how to process the data um, in this particular software and, and get it through the product, um, product line, which was great because that yeah. went to the school and was used in the school then to... To help mm. the training there.
0: So. Mm. Wow, well, you've had it, it's 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 good to to hear and listen to the sort of things that you've done with with your background and your part of the industry and and how you've contributed and know that that you know you've made a difference in the industry. I try to make a way. difference.
1: That's where the volunteer stuff comes in. Um, You know, trying to trying to help people understand and make that difference. Mm. Um, I think the problem is that a lot of there's a lot of there are a lot of good volunteers out there. Um, Some people volunteer just to have their name in a position on a in a particular organization, which is not the best part of it. Other people Mm. volunteer and then put a lot of time and effort into doing their activities. Yeah. um and and uh, and then you've got to also within that volunteer group you've got to find people who also look forward into the future and find strategies and ways to continue advancing your profession always, yeah, and the always practice moving
0: forward yeah
2: you know? mm.
1: and that's one of the hard things is trying to trying to get people to understand that just by saying something now or doing something now um, if you think of it strategically and you've and you've propositioned it correctly, you can actually be influencing the steps ahead.
2: Yeah. You
1: know, the future activities.
0: That's so true. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Oh, we digressed.
1: <laughs> well that's where that's where the um that's where the volunteer stuff and the Survey and Spatial Sciences Institute yeah. came from, effectively. Yeah, um, okay. You know, so when I first joined up to that in two thousand and five, after I returned from the United Kingdom, um, uh, I, there wasn't a lot of lot of there wasn't a lot of stuff happening to modernise the the routines or activities or or make things robust and quantitative in some areas and qualitative in the others. You know, and and so a lot of people weren't, in, weren't even thinking or considering new ways of doing things. Do you know,
0: what? I think I think that's a lot of people sort of get stuck in their ways and do kind of look at it as this is my job, this is what I'm doing, this is what I need to know, and off I go and just go and do it
2: mm-hmm.
0: without having that that thinking of um, what technology is coming, how can we make this better, how can we streamline this, or you know, how can mm. we get Get it out there and get people educated properly, or whatever it may be. There's, mm. there's two really two different types of thinking in people when it comes to, for anything really. I guess in that sense,
1: I find that the interesting thing with, um, you know, you look at big companies who have a lot of funding behind them, and um, if you have if you have a really enthusiastic employee. Who, who sees some initiative, et cetera, they can, they can activate that. And and if they can persuade the company to invest in that idea, even if it's going to be a failure, but just to yeah. see what the result is, you know, mm. big, big companies have that sort of leverage to be able to do stuff. So my company is quite small. And, and whilst I do have mm. a lot of gr- good ideas that I think of, and, and I like to take on ideas from the employees as well, um, when they consider them, my big stumbling point as being a small company, is, well, you know, uh, I either take on this new technology and try these new methods, uh, but to do that uh, I won't be able to um, afford their wages if I do that. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to toss up one way or the other. And where you say, you know, you've got to move on and just plod along doing what you were doing, et cetera, to some extent it's understandable when you don't have that background funding. Now, I'm not willing to go out and get lots of loans from totally. banks and, and do yeah. that. You know, because at the end of the day, I, I overinvest in something where, uh, at the moment, in, in such a such a unique industry,
2: mm-hmm. hydrographic
1: surveying, the specialisation is so so unique that you you are the company.
3: Yeah.
1: You know, uh, yeah. your skill set is the thing that keeps the company alive. So there's no one there who who would really be interested to take it on without taking you on uh, as well. Mm. Uh, and it's the then it's the training phase of having that training uh, funnel to be able to have people to come in behind you to make to make that small company something that's worth worth looking at, you know.
2: Yeah,
0: and the equipment's not cheap either, so it's a massive no. investment, and you've got to look at you know the whole business model of where, where can you get the returns? Mm. Have you got the clients? all that kind of stuff. So and, I suppose it's and a so. lot of
1: the time the, um, you know, the, the land surveying <clears throat> equipment varies in general price. Of, let's look at a total station or a mm. GPS unit, okay? Mm. Mostly there you can get secondhand stuff, that's okay, and it still works the same. Um, you now, you can get most of those that are around the, the 20 to forty thousand second hand secondhand for any of those, and they're okay. immediately useful. You can immediately start generating income from those, hmm. um, which means you can grow a lot quicker because you can buy ten of them and, and get ten teams out, and you're immediately Absolutely. getting ten times the amount of turnover. Yeah. You might decide to go and buy a laser scanner uh, and move into BIM or to something like that, and you immediately get hit with a US dollar bill of you know maybe eighty thousand, which turns out to be you know. A, 120000 Australian dollars for laser scanner. Mm-hmm. Now you've got one piece of kit. Now you've got to train people up and that's okay. But the software that's there, you know, it never really works quite right. You need two or three of them to make the whole thing come together. And that's another yeah. $60,000 in software that you've just paid out for. Mm-hmm. So there you say, okay, well, now we really need to increase the amount of those that particular work to make that particular purchase viable. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the land side of things, that's okay. Um, when you start moving into the marine environment you then got to start looking at okay well what keeps your marine activities functioning uh, well firstly you've got a whole lot more regulation over the types of vessels you use okay. i go and buy a ute that's okay I can drive around the regional areas in a ute it's registered etc go and try and do something like that with a vessel not so easy um, and then any vessel and commercial survey under the AMSA regulations would typically cost you, as a second-hand one, of around about $120,000, 160000 just for a vessel that you've now got to renovate,
2: mm-hmm.
1: refurbish, yeah. put on okay. survey gear. Yeah. You know? Mm.
2: Um,
1: and then you go out and look for your multi-beam, and then with all equipment, there's a low-grade and a high-grade. Well, now, what sort of job are you doing? Are you doing offshore? Are you Are doing inshore? If you're doing inshore, you might get away with a little less grade Piece of kit because your weather's mm. your environmental conditions are less hectic as mm. they are offshore, but you're still going to start forking out with you know two hundred thousand dollars just for a one piece of kit which you can only use, you know in in a vessel of a particular size, so you're immediately limiting your area of operation, um, mm. and then you need to upskill all your staff into all the processes involved with. Not just a multi, what they call the multi thing, but all the other ancillary interfaces which go to it and make it work. Um, so, valuing valuing the the survey activity from on water marine activities, the expense in marine activities is very high compared yeah. to a land activity.
2: Mm. Yeah,
0: it's it's a massive difference when you sort of look at it. I don't think. You know you don't you don't have anything to do with it so it's that's you really don't think about it in that way you sort of see these you know hydrographic surveying companies um, mm. and you, to me you see that there's not that many of them there are surveying companies that do hydrographic work um, but a hydrographic surveying company with having to have all of that equipment that's a massive layout
1: yeah and and the skill sets of the people. You know, with a larger company, yes, you might go and lease a vessel which has a coxswain or a master on it. Yeah. And a smaller one, you need your people to be skilled in mm-hmm. small boat operations, driving small boats, because you can't have a full-time coxswain on staff and you can't oh, keep going sorry. out.
0: <laughs> I just was thinking of that ad, I know boats.
1: <laughs> yes, I need a bigger boat and I do need a bigger boat, it's true. And I need a, with my bigger boat, oh, now I need a bigger truck. Because I can't tow my bigger boat can't without a bigger yes. truck. Yeah. And now my bigger boat and my bigger truck are oversized, so now I'm restricted by my road because I'm not allowed mm. to tow an oversized during certain hours of the day yep. or night. Yeah. And I can't go under certain bridges and I can't go through certain towns. Oh, you know, it's so all these complexities which you don't have with other survey yeah. captains. And
2: do,
0: do does your um is it the coxswain's ticket? Do they um is it just one ticket or It's to a certain vessel type or speed or anything
2: or like to yeah
1: there's a whole range of coxswain levels. Yeah. Different different length, different power ratios. Yeah, whether it's outboard or inboard, whether you can go offshore for so many miles or whether Mm -hmm. you gotta stay inshore. There's a whole lot of different restrictions. Um Mm. so if you want to be dynamic. Where you've got a vessel which is, let's say, it's an Amster Gray or Amster Survey Two C, which allows to Charlie, which allows you to go offshore. Then you need a coxswain certificate that allows you to go offshore.
2: Yeah,
1: right. So, but what I found in the industry is that even if you have a coxswain certificate, their experience levels aren't particularly um, high to deal with a whole lot of different. Um, offshore conditions that are out there if they get a coxswain certificate to operate inshore or something like that
0: because the the weather changes so quickly Mm. out there as well and if you if you haven't been brought up with it it would be a very very hard thing I would think to be able to manage and and read the weather and the waves and all that sort of
1: stuff so that's right yeah mm. so um, I mean, you can get coxswains like, um, and masters so um, on fishing vessels and all those big vessels. That's all great because they're big vessels and they handle quite well in most mm-hmm. seas. You know, you can get huge seas, which will knock them around. Yeah, But we're dealing with smaller craft now, you know, the ones that we want to be operating in. Um, unless you're the offshore survey company, of course, and you do yeah. move up to the big ones, but you're, yeah. you're spending weeks and weeks on the water offshore. Mm. We're doing daily operations or daily running in rivers, lakes, harbors, maybe on the coastline Uh
2: um,
1: for a day or or go out again. So come back, go out, come back, go out. We're not spending all the time out there. So we're picking our weather windows wisely. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, when it does get rough, you need the experience or when you're in close vicinity of rocks Mm -hmm. and you have to understand all those dynamics of how water um, and and wind and all those things interact when you're trying to drive a vessel. That's all your your surveyors' skill base. They have yeah. to know all that yeah. to be safe.
0: Yeah. So they haven't just learned how to survey and use that equipment or how to use the, the hydrographic equipment. They've now got this extra layer on top of that, knowing how mm-hmm. to manage a, a boat and weather and all that yeah. sort of stuff as well.
1: Yeah. So and, and on top of all that, it's not like you go out with your GPS and it records something, or your GNSS. We can't say GPS because that's just one system. <laughs> so you go out with your your survey system, you turn it on, it records. It logs it into your into your controller. Excellent. Yeah. With hydrographic surveying it's you go out with your, your side scan sonar, your magnetometer, your... Um, your sub-bottom profiler, your single beam, your multi-beam, your GNSS systems, your inertial navigation systems, motion reference systems, uh, and whatever else, and your tide gauges and whatever. And unless you're, again, difference between small companies, big companies, big company, you might have yourself a technician who puts it all together for you and will be on the board for you mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Small yep. company, no, it's, it's all you. <laughs> you need to know board rates. You need to know your connections. You need to know how to interface equipment. You need to know how to do low voltage electricity and wiring and rewiring and re-terminating. It's you. So there's your other skill set.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now within the syllabus of hydrography, it's not just acoustics in the water either. It's it's meteorology. It's oceanography. It's, um, it's mariner skills. Um, it's legal. Same as land survey, deals with legal, okay. yeah. um, but it's maritime legal. Oh, um,
0: right. Okay. You
1: know, we, we still do all of the land survey techniques as well, you know, mm-hmm. resections, intersections, networks, levelling runs, two peg tests, everything. We do all of that as well. Mm-hmm. And then you throw in all the water and the movement and all those other activities. Yep. No. You know.
0: Which now has just been written into the new training package. Correct. Ah. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> so, in uh, twenty eighteen. Yes. Twenty eighteen.
0: That would be about right.
1: Uh, twenty eighteen. Um, I worked with the uh, one of the uh, Australian. Um, uh, can't recall their name um it's the organization they work they work with uh training.gov and and they put the packages they assist industry putting mm-hmm. training packages together right so i work with them they would they are at the time rewriting components for the national water for the diploma in um in yeah. the water
0: was uh, that Ardibus?
1: no nah, it wasn't Ardibus. Uh, someone uh, else yeah it yeah. was another one yeah there are several groups out there that do the yeah. same things yeah um Anyway, so they, they were putting this package together and I saw a newsletter come up where they said they were, they were working on it. So I sent them an email and said, uh, what about hydrography? Well, we are doing, this is for hydrography. And I said, no, no, that's hydrology. What about hydrographic surveying or hydrography? It's all term the
0: same, is? isn't
1: it? Oh, yeah, it's all the same. <laughs> that's right. So there's a big debate raging in Australia right now.
2: <laughs>
1: it's been raging for a long time. <laughs> no, it's it's not really. I think yeah. look, we've come to a very um, amicable amicable agreement about um, the differences. Mm-hmm. But again, it's it's all about portraying that in the industry and how you present yeah. it in advertising and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because you quite often see New South Wales Water or other companies, Melbourne Water and stuff, going. We want to we want a hydrographer, right? Now, a hydrographer. Um, is a blanket term. The only hydrographer in Australia is the hydrographer of Australia, okay? That's the only legal entity that is Mm -hmm. a hydrographer, that you can call him the hydrographer, the hydrographer, right? (laughs) Him or her. So um, uh, we're talking hydrology or, or hydrologist versus hydrographic surveyor. Yeah. Now, Hydrographic surveying deals with many of the things in regards to measurement of water flow and levels that a hydrologist will deal with. But a hydrologist mm-hmm. does additional things in regards to sampling, testing, yeah. et cetera, working out the hydrology of a river system or what have you. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes, we don't analyse it as hydrographic surveys. We collect the data which go into that modelling.
2: Yeah.
1: Right? That's why surveying's on the end of it hydrographic surveying you know mm. a lot of people who who go for for the the certification of being a hydrographic surveyor will say oh but you know i'm i've been i've been working in this area for years and years and years etc cetera, etc cetera. and you say well okay you're going for certification as the hydrographic surveyor you know how do you do a network analysis how do you do a, a tidal um a tidal solution tide gauges how do you how do you do um, a resection? You know, that's surveying. You know? A, a you, what? Yeah, that's that's right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, so you get people who would will sit in front of a computer and they'll process data and analyse it through a computer system and think that they're cleaning out the right stuff. But had they actually done the course and understand what they're looking at and editing, they might make different decisions mm. as mm. well, you know. Yeah. Okay. Why does that data come out looking like that? Well, maybe yeah. it's a problem with the sound velocity, or maybe it's a problem with um, the there was a fault in the echo sounder, or maybe there was a problem with the position that was done in the network adjustment. Yeah, things like that. Mm.
2: Mm. Okay.
0: Um, but, yeah, oh, so sorry, you, we're, we're getting so, back to the, national, yeah, to the
1: water diploma. Yeah. <laughs> let's, so,
0: let's go back.
1: <laughs> got in touch with them and, and we had a big discussion and so I said, well, here is the international syllabus. Yep. These are the modules that are in there. And because Australia has its own terminology, which it uses in education,
2: mm-hmm. we had
1: to restructure a lot of the wording but try and keep it as focused as the international syllabus as possible. Now, the reason Mm -hmm. I did it like that is because I figured strategically if it's in there written like this and it covers off on the modules which can be mapped back to the international syllabus and you have a diploma in survey or a degree in surveying Mm -hmm. and you have this module out of the diploma here, these modules, you can actually go for certification because you've actually learnt about hydrography as well as surveying at the top. And then you can get level two certification or level one certification through the Australasian Hydrographic Surveys panel
2: mm-hmm.
1: as you got experience up. Yeah?
0: Yeah, smart thinking.
1: But then, because it, and I said, well, this is a backdoor to the future. To the, so I wrote a thing out saying the SSSI said, like, we've got this in there now. I understand it's not in the, it's not where you want it to be in surveying. But it's there. It's in the national mm-hmm. training package. Yeah. It gets subsidized. It allows people to get into it. Right. Next, we'll move on to the next phase, which is to get it in the survey. So then the surveying deployment came up for review, I think a year and a half ago. And yeah, about that. Yep. And um I linked in with that and said, hey, we've got all these packages here over here. We want to, we should be bringing them also under the diploma survey. So I looked mm-hmm. at it yesterday actually, the other day. Mm-hmm. Noticed that yes, it has been brought in under think, version four now. So we've got all those packages in the diploma survey. What do we need now? We need RTOs to take it up and produce a diploma survey <laughs> hydrographic.
0: How cool would that be? How full Great. of thinking about what we need is teachers.
1: We need teachers, but we need industry also with equipment. Okay. Equipment's expensive, mm-hmm. remember, and small RTOs can't afford it. So you need to get people out there practicing with multi-beams and side scans and magnetometers and sub-bottom profilers. And...
0: No, any good teachers?
1: I <laughs> know a few good teachers. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes, well that's the way forward isn't it hopefully that uh things like that can get off the ground now that it's been written into the training package it makes it so much easier to, that's to right. come out with that extra qualification so
1: it it used to be when when navy were running it navy used to run used to run it as part of the national training package it was endorsed nationally okay
2: mm-hmm.
1: but navy were the only ones teaching it yeah. No one else. Everyone else kept having this opinion that oh, that's only a navy thing. That's only military, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. Funnily yeah. enough, that course was always written into the training package as being open to civilians. It was just never.
0: Yes, but no one ever did it because okay. they didn't know about it, or
1: basically,
2: yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Oh, I, if I had my time again i know where i would be oh seriously if i if i had a i think if i had known about it when i did first did the diploma back in 90 finished in 95 if i had known about hydrographic surveying i think that would have been my choice mm. for sure um you know i'm a water baby i love the water always out in the boats it's just it's my happy place
1: <laughs> happy place yeah that's right
0: yep. Oh. you get
1: sick of it when you get old too old like me
0: <laughs> yeah well that's why there's no use me going and doing it now <laughs> too much study to do and no one to teach anyway <laughs> problem
1: is you have got to put the whole package together now with the training aids and the everything the powerpoints and the yeah you know it's all right to take the package off the shelf it's putting that putting those lesson packs together and then putting the the tests together and the quizzes together and and getting that structure in place to make it work i can like i can teach my staff from powerpoints from all this and theory and quite often we'll we'll stand up and we'll have lessons at the whiteboard about things yeah but when it comes to certification processes it's not going to be recognised because it's not formal no,
0: that's that's right. the thing. Yeah. No. Mm. Mm. Something to think about. <laughs> Moving <Maybe> on.
1: <laughs> well, I note on your left hand side you have what? The Surveyor's yes, Academy. Surveyor's Academy. All right. Yes, that's yeah,
0: right. Yeah. So yeah, so what's all that know? about then? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we we Consulting Surveys National is working together in partnership with the University of Southern Queensland uh, to develop the Certificate for um, in Surveying and Spatial Information with a surveying major. I can't look at spatial. Um, I need to just look at surveying and the Diploma of Surveying. Um, to deliver to industry, to deliver it differently, to to work with industry to, to get people the qualifications that they need who, who can't come to a face-to-face TAFE situation all the time. So, um, yeah. yeah, so we're trying to meet industry needs that can't mm-hmm. be met at the moment. And, um, you know, we've got a lot of support from industry, which is awesome. Hopefully we have it up, up and running next year, uh, early next year. And once we sort of get those pilot programs running and get it ticking over and make sure that it's it's running smoothly and everybody's um, you know getting their learning and their experience mm. and everything together, then yeah, we're going to start looking at other um, other areas of um, skills, um, yeah. you know, statements of attainments, upskilling, and all that kind of stuff for not just you know they might be. Um, a registered or a graduate surveyor that wants to upskill in something else, or you know, mm. and we're looking at you know management, business type of stuff as well that the um uh, the association does already. So,
1: so TAFE TAFE South Australia is looking into running some of the those modules I was talking about, yeah, okay, um, and integrate them into their um, diploma survey.
2: Interesting. Um,
1: They've got uh, their local surveying company down there, not not the TAFE's local one, but um, Precision Hydrographic Surveying.
0: Oh, um, yeah, I've seen a lot PHS, of PHS. Yes, yeah.
1: Neil Hewitt there. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: they've always been great supporters of 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 providing uh, guest lecturers to um, yep. uh, the universities and also to the TAFE yep.
2: um,
1: to discuss these things. Um, so they've got they've got support down there. Um, That's brilliant. You know, in the location so
0: yeah but only a few units out of it so it's not the whole what is it uh, i'm not
1: sure how many units what there are i think are. there were six units mm. from memory yeah.
0: oh that's cool that's that's um that's interesting it's good to hear that they're doing you know taking that on board
1: but certainly the online side of things is is the way to be moving but you still need yeah. that practical face
0: oh definitely
1: um that has to happen yeah you, ha- you know um so there's another there's another uh, there's a, a company called IIC um, and the one of the uh, representatives for IIC uh, lives in New Zealand, uh, ex um, Navy hydrographer from the Royal New Zealand Navy. Um, he's just uh, he's just collaborated now with um, over in WA to get Deacon on board to teach this category B. Yes. Okay. Um, Qualified certificate uh, Mm -hmm. or course, qualified course um, or endorsed course, I should say. Um, And they're starting to run with that now. But the problem is um, funding aspect, you've got to make it easy for people to get into. And I always Mm -hmm. figured that by introducing it into the TAFE level or the RTO level, which was going to be subsidised by government as a skill-based activity diploma, yeah. Uh, was always the best starting point
2: mm-hmm.
1: because even if you can get a technician in, you know, and, and up to a diploma and get that technician into the field of experience, they can go and do a degree at some other time. Yes. Either remotely exactly. or part-time or whatever yeah. through their career and then move up to the level one certified hydrographic surveyor, which would be equivalent to your registered land surveyor. Or- mm. Mm. Oh,
2: well,
0: that that's interesting that the... um that the IIC, I think did he come to was he over here for the, the yeah I yeah is it World
1: to... Hydrography Day yeah he's one of the yes. speakers there.
0: Yeah I think I spoke to him. Yeah during the yeah during the day. Oh nice all righty um okay let's go back to you because we've had a good chat about education now.
1: This podcast would go for ages.
0: (laughs) Oh, this is nothing. I've done three hours before.
1: Oh, You don't want to do that here.
0: No. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. But let's go back to you. So how long were you in the Navy before you, is it, do you retire from the Navy? What do you do? Uh,
1: So I was in from 91 through to 2014. Mm -hmm. And then I continue on with reserve work.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, if they do, if they need a reservist to fill small gaps in their capability, then they could call upon you depending on what your specialization is right, or okay. what the job is. Yeah. And you can either elect to do you know, 20 days a year, which is the standard for an active reservist um, who just wants to keep up to date with the, the processes and, and help out and, and Mm -hmm. do things like that, or you can go for longer term reserve activities, um, all sorts of different days, anything up to 200 days for an active reservist. So 20 to 200. Yep. Uh, And after you move over that 200, you can then effectively sign up for a a more continuous full time service, which is still, you're not a full member, but you're treated as a full member of the Defence Force. But You've got on a contract which is shorter, Uh, and or you can rejoin one or the other.
0: Yeah, okay. So, did you start your business straight away when you left?
1: No, no, I had it running since two thousand and five. So I was running my business while I was in the navy. And yes, I did fill out all the (laughs) all the correct documentation to get approval to do it.
0: So yeah. you did you have someone else working with you at, at the time, or it was basically you just had your business and you would do your navy so stuff, I, and then I started with a registered
1: land surveyor, and we mm. we created hydrographic and cadastral survey together. Okay. Um, so he he runs a company called Usher and Company out of Chatswood, um, and also um, he's on the Gold Coast and and also in Orange, and. Mm-hmm. Um, over, over time, you know, he, he was, because he was already quite successful, but I originally saw him in 2003 before going to the UK, because um, I was thinking about getting out of the Navy back in 2003, actually. Right. Um, so I went to see him and see, because he advertised as a hydrographic survey, but he was actually a land surveyor doing <laughs> Maybe he had a big, long stick with an RTK unit on top yeah. He called himself a hydrographic surveyor. Uh, <laughs> <Like laughs> so <most> of us. <laughs> I went to see him and he said, uh, no, but it sounds really interesting, blah, blah, blah. So we got talking and I said, mm-hmm. you know, okay. So in 2005, I got back and said, you want to start a company? So so I started a company. Now, I did all my research before then looking at how many hydrographic companies there were. And it's going, oh, there's hardly any out here. So when mm. I, as soon as I started the company, then they all started to pop up out of the woodwork. Some were some were full some were full on hydrographic surveyors who were certified, and others were just dabbling in the in the yeah. art of yeah. doing it. Um, and uh, um, the problem was, I, I I was now in competition with with um, a person who was on a pension, who had retired from a government job, and who was doing hydrographic surveying pretty much as you know,
0: yeah.
1: as enjoyment. Out of enjoyment of continuing yeah. to do it, so commercially priced, not yeah, um, which meant that there's a barrier to me entering because I need to charge this much, but they're charging quarter of that particular that rate.
0: The age and, old story, isn't it? And
1: <laughs> yeah, setting a very a very unrealistic um, market.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, uh, and so the, herein lies another problem with people not understanding hydrographic surveying uh, and, and thinking that, oh, no, surely that's not going to cost that much. But in fact, you know, you've know you got to run all these vessels. You've got to run mm. all this expensive equipment. You've mm. got to run all this specialised training. You've got to keep all these certifications that are quite expensive up. Um, far more than what you would, con- you know, I'm running a land survey company as well as a hydrographic company effectively. So I mm. could quite happily go, get rid of all this marine stuff just do land stuff and I wouldn't have to worry about all those additional costs. And I could quite happily come down to the market value of a land simulator. Um But you can't do that in the maritime world because if anyone knows, if they go and buy themselves a boat, they go and buy themselves a jet ski or anything, they're starting to funnel money into that. And they always say, you know, that a boat is just suck your money, in, <laughs> won't it, you know? Yep. So, and the reality is it does. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, do. had to come in and try and beat this market expectation mm. that you know, and all these people who had phoned me up for a quote, and then I'd go, "Well, this is my price," they go, "Well, this other person's this much," and I'd always lose work. Yeah, and I, there's no way that I can compete because I'm, you know, I'm starting to hire people, increase the the employment pool.
2: I've mm. got all the other
1: insurances. I'm not working. Yes. F- I you know originally I was working from home, which is great. No office expenses. Competitions sort of doing the same thing, you know. Mm. And there was more than one doing the same thing at the same time, working from their home, and that, and that's great. But when you start employing people, you can't you can't keep working from home. You've got to move out of no. an office. Yeah. You've got to have these extra expenses, and all business owners know this. And along with that goes your increased pricing, you know, pricing mm. structure. Um, so it has to happen. It's inevitable. But making the, making the industry, making the individuals out there understand that that's what it costs is very difficult to do.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and uh, I won't go on because the pricing thing over the whole industry is just a mm. a sore spot. You know, whether, you know, obviously more so for your hydrographic that rather, you know, but the land is is bad enough. So I can imagine how it would hit on your side.
1: Well, I I can tell you about a pricing thing with with equipment, right? So you go and buy some equipment and you ask for a quote and if you go into the specialist companies, those prices are high. You know, the name brands, Yeah. same with any name brand, but particularly high. So I was after a 360 prism to go on the top of my pole Mm -hmm. for my total station and the price on it was $2,500 for a 360 prism, yeah. So I scoped out eBay and I found a prism that looked pretty exact, almost exactly the same design and everything, Mm $160, right? Wow. So I bought it and I ran some tests on it. No different. No different at all. Probably comes from exactly the same factory, just not branded with that not branded. brand, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There are, and this is what is so annoying. Like one of my antennas has has degraded to a point where it's starting to crack. I can find antennas for the GNSS at $160. Yep. Or I can buy another one over here, name brand, for two and a half thousand dollars. And you look at the specs and you go, okay, well, these specs aren't particularly different. Mm. Um, if I know a little bit more about antennas, you know, all I can go off is are the ohms the same? Are the frequencies the same? Um, what's the what's the phase center calculation accuracy? Um, what is this? What is that? I can look at them and go, yeah, they all receive, you know, all the constellations. They've got the same frequencies. we have got all these. Elements that are so close to being the same, I can take the risk, get that trial it, or I can just go and buy the two and a half thousand dollar
2: mm.
1: one. I'm more tempted to go with the cheaper one and put it on, and and take that risk. Buy ten of those for the price of one of those. You know.
0: Yeah, it's 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 a hard thing. I mean, you look at these companies that they've made. They've made all of they've put the
1: R and D time
0: and the effort and everything yeah. in. Um, but to to what cost for the consumer, I guess.
1: But over time, all that R and D, you know, you'd expect it to go the cost to fall yeah. because the R and D is just being developed on itself and itself and itself. Mm. No.
2: No.
0: <laughs>
2: Sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah i can see both sides i mean um yeah, yeah i see where you're coming from and because also when you you look at um you know people always say you know why does a survey cost so much when it only takes you half an hour or whatever it is mm-hmm. but it's the the equipment you're learning your your education and you're all that kind of stuff that you're bringing all that knowledge in yeah. that's why you're charging the price that you are
1: I always laugh when you look at the lawyer's bill and they charge like $300 an hour and you go, well, I'm not even charging that much and, you know, I'm slogging away out here in the field. (laughs) I know.
0: I think um, I was having a conversation the other day and it was like why we're we're probably one of the only professions that um, is sort of should be up in stature with with." The lawyers and all that kind of stuff because of the, the education that, that has happened, yet we don't charge by the five minutes and no, all, all that kind of stuff as well. So, matter
1: of um, fact, a lot of the stuff I do is gratis. The advice I give over the phone, yeah. you know, things like that, you know, it, it's yeah. because it's just because you want people to understand better what you're mm. doing, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I know. Anyway, let's move away from money because that's never going to excite <laughs> anyone listening to your podcast.
0: <laughs> okay, why did you want to start a business then? Because you didn't think you would be in the navy the whole time.
1: I thought it'd be exciting. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Why? What?
0: What, what did you think about having a business would be exciting? <laughs> <laughs> and, and okay now and let me just, just I was younger there. then I was and much has younger it, and has it been?
1: <laughs> I was much younger now you get to this point you get to this point in your career where you're out there always doing the hard yards and slogging through the, the mud you know yeah. the bushland and everything like that and it's great and it's fun and it's you know you're, living, you're going away for weekends you live in motels and yeah. you go to exciting places living at hard Um, doing survey, right, which is great, which is fine. Then you get to a point where you go, "Ah, you know, pretty much past that now. I'd like to pass that on to to a younger person (laughs) to get out there and do that for me Mm -hmm. so that I can just organise everything and make sure it happens. And then when you're at that point, then you go,
0: I wish I was back out there again. It's
1: not <laughs> happening right. And you know, I wish I could, I wish they'd be doing it like this and, and not like that, because that's the right way. And they're sort of bending it over here. And
2: mm-hmm. now they're
1: learning and that's okay. Oh, now they're getting better. Oh, yeah. All right, now I get a bit more autonomy. And then you get to a point where you go, ah, right, now I'll give them some more management roles. And you go, here you go, you can have some management roles. And you go along here. Okay, well, oh, it's starting to fall apart. (laughs) Oh no, it's coming back together. It's falling apart again. (laughs) I better step in. Let's redirect.
2: You know, this is all
1: learning and developing, but it's it's how you've got to grow your company. You know, making these, you've got to step aside. You know, so originally when I hired my first round of employees, very tight rein on what their activities were. Mm. A, they didn't know the company. B, they don't know the the business of hydrographic survey yep. then as they get on more and more you start to give them more complex things and you start less teaching and start throwing them. here's a tender document you read through it and tell me everything we need to do and then you go right now give me your result and it's a bit like bit like giving them an assignment and then proofreading it
2: mm-hmm. and
1: giving them a mark out of 90 or out of 100 right so here we go you give it back i oh, know okay this this is right this is right but did you think about this over here, connecting with that over there, and going with that over there, and, the, and how does that relate to that, and what's the consequence of this, and and then you start, and just by pointing out these things, you're educating them. Yeah. The problem with this is that um, it's not always taken as education, um, depending on the depending on the type of person you're dealing with, right? So obviously you need to blend the way you do things like this. And I always emphasize to my staff that um, when I when I'm reviewing something and I give it back to you, or I ask you a question about it, or ask how this goes with that, I'm not having to go that you don't know because I know you don't know.
0: Yeah,
1: I'm having to go at trying to get you to think, think about, about it. What are the what are those aspects that this whole thing connects? Even right down to the words you use. Mm. yeah you know, and survey terminology is very important um, you know you, you could say um, you could say something about a, a piece of equipment or about an outcome but that that word you use for an outcome might actually be legally not right mm. <laughs> or even or even survey related not right
2: yeah you know, and yeah. you want to
1: correct those terminologies yeah you know. mm. um, but you've got to make them understand that that's that's the reason it's been done, so that when you hand it back, it's like you didn't draw this connections. You know, you're not having to go at anybody. You just and the nature of learning is that most of the time you're going to be told what you got wrong, not what you got yes. right. Yeah, because that's what learning is about. Learning, yeah. you know, you, you, you tread on something sharp, you don't do it again, but you tread on something <laughs> sharp, don't you? You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And you've learned now. I don't step on that piece of metal because it's sharp Yeah, uh, it's the same principle
2: it
0: is it is I've always said that you know you need to give things a go and if you make a mistake it's fine you
1: don't do learn it again. from
0: it <laughs> yeah you you <laughs> learn from it you learn that that's not how you do it you need to change the way you're doing it or whatever it may be that you you're always you always need to be learning so if you don't mm. give things a go you, you, you're not going to learn you're not
1: going to that's right. Move forward. But, so. but the the important thing about that is not only being, um, you can be told, and you you could take you could listen, but you may not um, comprehend and follow on with correcting that yeah. particular thing, or you could be you could have it explained. You can have a conversation about it. You can you can uh, give the impression. Or you could actually understand it appropriately, and you, and everyone goes away thinking, "I've understood that. I know what's now right." The problem comes where on the third iteration, <laughs> those lessons are not being taken on. Yeah. So you must think, what is the problem? Is it the teaching? Is it, or is it the understanding, or is it just that the the individual is not suited? To that particular activity, yeah, you know, mm. um,
2: it's
0: uh, education. It's, it's all I know. We keep going back to education, don't we? <laughs> it's part of life, isn't it? But it's 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 interesting that you say that. That you know, is it the is it the teacher? Is it the way it's being delivered? Is it the person? You know, some some people and some bosses don't see that. Mm. And don't, don't make the effort to think, okay, um, so I've told them what to do and they haven't listened, so I just get cranky. Okay, they haven't listened or they don't understand what I've said, so how can I make it different? Have the conversations with them to get them to see where how it can work better because if you, if, you're a, if you're a business owner or a manager or whatever it may be, well, you have to have your team all on the same page.
1: And you have to be having that team work efficiently and effectively quickly
2: yes.
1: as well, particularly yes. if you're a small business. Yes. If you're a big business, often slackers in the background don't get noticed
2: because no. they're getting
1: covered by everyone else. Mm. All the other activities are swamping the thing. But if you're in a small yes. business, every if, if there's one thing that's out of kilter... It can, it can be detrimental to a lot of other activities, mm. you know. So it, it's important to be able to, it's important on both sides, A, to be able to say, this is how it needs to be done. Well, we didn't quite do this right in the field. This is how it's meant to be done. This is why it's meant to be done in this way. Does everyone understand? Hope you've taken enough notes. Let's move on. Next time that situation occurs, you'll hope, that the same thing does not does not happen, you mm. know? yeah, because yeah. you've tried to make sure that everything is working effectively and efficiently.
2: Mm. Yeah,
0: exactly. All right, let's move on because I am conscious of the time. Technology within the industry—you've seen probably a few changes along the way in your career.
1: Hmm. I don't know if you remember the MRA-7. Do you remember the MRA-7?
0: No. Should I? I
1: don't know. It was just a radio ranging system, that's all. No. Surcell NR103, let's throw some old stuff out there.
0: that's way before my time. (laughs)
1: What about the sextant? Ten-foot pole?
0: I know a sextant. What about the ten-foot
1: pole?
0: Ten-foot pole? Yeah.
1: No. Sextant and 10 foot pole to be able to. So you have a 10 foot pole mm-hmm. and it's and and you use your sextant. Yeah. And as you move closer to the pole, your sextant closes at particular degrees. And at those degrees and the 10 foot pole converges, at yep. a particular distance away from the 10 foot pole. Right.
2: Cool. Yep.
1: So you use that for measuring when you go in a transect, when you're driving a transect in a boat. Using a 10-foot pole, it's your positioning system. Mm-hmm. So, A, you're driving a straight line because you're driving the transect, and, B, you get to position how long along that line, how far along that line are, you are because you've got your sextant and your 10-foot pole telling you 10 metres, 5 metres, etc. Cool. And then you put a lead line down. <laughs> lead line. <laughs> or a long <laughs> stick. Or a long stick, one or the other. <laughs> or an echo sounder. Uh, okay,
0: so things have changed a bit over. <laughs> yeah. Where do you but
1: think we were also is- taught to we we're also taught to survey dynamically and from a reconnaissance perspective. Yeah. Even.
3: Uh-huh.
1: You know. Um knowing how, how long your stride is as a surveyor is important and how long your stride is on flat ground, on a hill going up, on a hill going mm-hmm. down, mm-hmm. so that you could measure out how far you've travelled or a distance from A to B.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, yeah. things like that. So if you're doing a sketch survey on a beach or a sketch survey anywhere, that you're just going to draw down on a pad, you can roughly say, well, that's 10 metres, 5 metres, et etc. et cetera. Et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, practicing old skills as well. Oh. Use them anymore?
0: You just press the button, don't you?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Until that button doesn't work.
0: (laughs) all Right. So, so you have seen a lot of changes. Do you think that there's, um, over the sort of the next ten years, there's, it's going to progress more in the technology side of things, or do you think we've kind of plateaued when it comes to
1: the technology? Look, it's always progressing. Um, We've got underwater laser scanners now for. um, Yeah, for scanning pipes and infrastructure and all Mm. sorts of surveying activities down there for more precision. Mm. Um, And, yeah, of course, lasers and water is never good because turbidity restricts a lot of distance. But, um, you know, and and they do have to be quite close to the the feature. But if you're looking at precise measurements and things like that, far better than photogrammetry underwater, which is... Mm potentially even harder to do um, uh, you know so things like that are always progressing and um but i don't think we'll slow down in technology from the certification panel's perspective we we were looking at upgrading our our guidelines um in regards to our experience log every 10 years
2: mm-hmm.
1: so you know from echo sounders to multi-beams from multi-beams to lasers um And the different type. And and now, look, we're going into autonomy. So, you know, um, uh, remote control vessels, um, Mm. autonomous vessels collecting data and so forth. Um, We're starting to see that now needing to be part of the certification process to show that you have experience doing this. It doesn't mean that you can sit remotely across the other side of the world and run remote vessels and call yourself a hydrographic surveyor because there are times you need to understand everything that's <laughs> going on in the water as well. You know, you need to understand the environment that you're operating in. But let me come back to that and say that during my degree at the academy in 91 through to 93 we visited the university of new south wales no uh, this was during my h2 course so during my hydrographic course uh 96 we visited the university of new south wales and we went to their science department there and mm-hmm. they were talking about global navigation systems integrated into your phones and alerts coming up on your phone saying, you're now passing this fashion shop and it's got a sale on 10%, blah, blah, blah. Now, that's what they were talking about in 1996, right? Now, everyone's quite common to having geolocation on Google Maps or whatever and being pinged for, you know, you just visited the store or whatever, et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera. Uh, and we're in, you know, 20... Well, when did that sort of start? Well, a few years back um, with all of that. But also autonomy also went to Geoscience Australia uh, down there. Uh, or was it Lands Info, Land, Info, Land Info at the time? Mm-hmm. And they had um, a large autonomous sub, which had been under Antarctica, surveying, doing yeah. survey activities yep. under there, mm-hmm. right? So autonomy was already being done back in the 1996 period and before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's only really started to take off. You know, yes, the geolocation all that was maybe five, 10 years back from now. Autonomy is really starting to take in, take off now with the remote control boats and even larger remote control vessels yeah. uh, of larger size, ten up even up to cargo ships during autonomy deliveries um, in in 2020. You know, so there's a huge time lag between when people start thinking about doing something and then it becoming very out there for the general public to access. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So
1: you can see, so whatever we're thinking about now, whatever you see out there now, oh, we're just thinking about doing this, you know, put on 10 more years, 15 more years, and that's when it will become really uh out there in the general public, Mm. for big things anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you regret your decision to get into the hydrographic world?
1: No. I have a passion for hydrography. I I call it a science (laughs) more than a profession. It's the science of hydrographic surveying. Sorry. You know? Because it encompasses so many things. They're, they're all scientific mm-hmm. things. They're all, they're all measurable. You can analyze any, any inch of the data, you know. And we always say that you collect all the data and that in the future someone might be able to pull your archive data out and reanalyze it with a totally different concept mm. of analysis that you'd never thought of.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: Right? So if you go back to moldy beans, yeah. for instance, they originally generated multi-beams with a filter in it so that it would only track the bottom, mm-hmm. right? So all the beams and acoustic sounds going down and it was just filtered. Didn't worry about all the stuff in the water column. Just said, I just want to track that bottom. There it is. Yeah. Put a filter on, track it along, and here you got the bottom. Then scientists started going, oh, oh it was, I don't know, some other thing. I went, oh, what's the stuff, this noise in the middle here that occasionally pops up? Oh, that's what's in the water column oh, that's really interesting stuff. So now they've got backscatter analysis, sorry, water column analysis. So so effectively you can turn off, effectively you turn off the filters in the background and the software. Programmers do it all for you these days. And it just records everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet you you option, turn on water column or turn it off. Now, if it's turned off, you see the bottom. If it's turned on, you see the water column. It records it enormous amount of data throughput you know that's one of the reasons you didn't have large hard drives back when it was first developed as well so mm. you know storage was a problem yeah but now you can now you can see things like seeps water seeps um, masts of vessels you know anything in the water column you can reanalyze using the water column data And it's very similar okay. to how the laser airborne depth sounder was developed originally you know army were experimenting with lasers doing top, topographic survey Flew mm. over a dam full of full water. They went, oh, that's interesting. We actually got the bottom of the dam using the laser. Hey, let's start working on this concept. Yeah, and so we had the birth of laser airborne depth sound, You know, mm. so, mm. so it's no.
0: amazing. It's amazing the things that have come about.
1: There's lots of science in hydrography. You know, mm. and that's why I think that you know oceanographers. Um, geophysicists um marine biologists meteorologists they all have a capability of becoming hydrographic surveyors, but they've all got to remember the one key thing is that last word surveying Surveying. okay you have to understand all the principles of getting your equipment set up accurate functional all the influences on it so if you're an oceanographer you understand that sound velocity is, is influenced by, you know, salinity, temperature, depth, etc. cetera, fresh water, well, that's salinity. <laughs> um, you understand all those concepts, right? Um, but how does that influence the data you're getting from an echo sounder? You need to understand those principles as well. Mm. You know, so it's the survey they need to get squared away.
2: Mm. Interesting.
0: Looking back over your career, who's had the biggest impact?
1: Who's had the biggest impact? Mm. I can see lots of negative impacts.
0: Really? Okay.
1: But I won't explore them oh. because it okay. may go to areas <laughs> which just reinforce <laughs> bad memories. Okay. Oh. Um, let's just say there there are there are equally. I would, I, you know, let's go back to my first time trying to get recruited. Yeah. You will never be an officer in the Navy.
2: Mm-hmm. Well,
1: what sort of negative impact is that? Yeah. I just bypass that commentary and move on and, and go and do what I want to do and succeed. So I guess, I guess you could say that the, the people with negative impacts actually drive me to achieve more.
0: Yeah. Mind you, it would have turned some people away. Probably That's turn right. many
1: people away. They'd yeah. probably take it very personally.
2: Yeah. Hmm.
0: You know, you're the first one I think has probably said that. Thinking of the negative impact, how it's affected you to get where you are. It's mm. interesting. Okay, so let's talk about work advice then. Um, what what would be the best work advice that you've heard? Or that you would tell someone else who was looking to come into start starting a business or that sort of thing.
1: Starting a business, or
0: yeah, starting a business, or or someone something that someone said to you that you've always yeah. remembered as being that's something that I hold in the back of my head.
1: <sighs> I don't know. I don't. <laughs> I don't think there's anything. there. I think it's.
2: I um, think you. I don't know. I, I think Thank I just.
1: You. I just thought you know I'm, I had this ambition to start a business, and my wife supported me and said, "Okay, do that." And you know, I left a very secure job that I could yeah. have. I could have quite happily sat back, doing my navy job. Mm. Um, behind a desk, pushing administrative paperwork around, um, trying to make systems change without, you know, and realising that at the end of the day, well, one of the things, at the end of the day, you are replaceable and you're a number Mm -hmm. in that organisation. So... Do that or go out and just do something that you're really enjoying where you get to make your own decisions and make your own wins and losses, you know, uh, and just take that gamble on, really. Mm. Mm. Have faith in yourself. If you feel that, you've, that you that you can achieve and what you're going to be doing, then go and do it. You know, and, and look, I haven't run. I, I understand that I have not run a lot of my business activities successfully. Mm -hmm. because I'm a hydrographic surveyor. And, yes, I've got a lot of management and leadership skills from Defence. Thank you very much for all that training and time spent in providing me those courses and opportunities to go through and learn about all those things like work health and safety, Mm -hmm. um, management of large teams, Mm -hmm. leadership and management courses that they put you on, how to write documentation, how to look at legal um, documentation, how to interpret legal advice, how to work through very sensitive situations. All those skill sets are something that people, you know, and I've always considered that people going into the Defence Force um, will learn all those skills that are very, very worthwhile for any of the small businesses that choose to take on people from the Defence Force, Mm -hmm. right? They're already the expense is done. And I've always thought that is the way that the country builds its industries, its knowledge base, you know, its everything. Mm. Training. It's through their training, the time that they can afford to put into the training of the people that are paid for by the taxpayer. Those people come back and put so much more into all those small businesses who couldn't afford to teach people those skill sets. Yeah. You know, that is the value that people Mm. don't see. Hmm?
0: Yeah, not something that I've sort of thought about in that way before.
1: Like education, you know, free up until, free through to HSC and then you've got to pay for it all. Well, you know, if you want to build a country with resilience... There are some things where you where you know you could say your first your first technical trade diploma can be free. If you want to do anything else after that, you've got to pay for it. Your first technical degree could be free. If you want to do any other degrees after that, you can pay for it. But how else, how else could you possibly build such a wealthy nation of with innovative thinkers and growth? Mm. but through education and and being able to provide that to people who are willing to take on that training phase of their life, yeah.
2: you know,
1: yeah. who are motivated. Because if you're motivated to take on a free course, you're motivated to do anything really. A lot of people go and buy courses or go to courses and just aren't interested in doing those courses. They might have been pushed there by their parents or, you know, whatever, and just aren't interested. Mm. And that's fine. Because you need people who aren't interested in those sorts of things. You need people to be doing all levels of, of work activity through a country. You know, but yeah. if you want to expand quickly and you want to have that, you've got to have somewhere for those people who want to generate their self-worth and their and their mm-hmm. careers. Mm.
2: It,
0: it's it just amazed me that they. Charge so much now for education—it is crazy, crazy. All right. Where is the most unusual place that you've been? Hmm. be more than one too. Some people have a few places.
1: Some people have a few places. Eh? Ah, um, oh. <clears throat> probably in a, um, probably in a boiler of a destroyer.
2: Okay. <laughs> Why?
1: <laughs> had to clean it. Had to clean the boiler. Oh,
2: they were well,
1: that... steam-driven. They were steam-driven warships we had not too long ago when okay. I joined up. HMS Hobart was a steam-driven DDG. Wow. Right? So big boilers. You had to heat them up. Eight hours notice for C meant that they had to prime them up and get the steam going. Then you could go.
0: Wow. Okay. How old are you?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it wasn't that long ago. No,
2: no I know, I know, I <laughs> know.
1: Well, I told you I finished at the Academy in 93
2: mm-hmm. and went mm-hmm.
1: off my driving ships.
2: Yes, you know? yes, So through to 97,
1: 1996, 97, mm-hmm. you know, still had steamships effectively.
0: Hard to believe. Yeah. And I guess when you don't really have anything, like, to do with it, you don't realise these things. Mm. Yeah. All right. What motivates you?
3: What motivates me? Um,
1: I don't know why I take on so much work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <Me>
2: neither.
1: <laughs> but I don't know what motivates me to take on so much work. I think it's because I see things that um, people are just letting happen. I don't know. I I see where there's needs need for change,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: no one's making a change. Or I I see people asking for volunteers in areas where um, I have an interest or I think mm-hmm. I could add some value to, so mm-hmm. I just go and do it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, it's one of the reasons I, I departed the SSSI and the HSCP was that there was just too much work building up and coming to me and Mm. I was doing I was doing a lot because no one would take on any of the roles in in the volunteer organisation. Yeah, there was not enough of industry who wanted to be who want to be members, but don't want to participate. Yeah, and that really started to frustrate me by the end of fifteen mm. years doing it.
0: Not uncommon, um, and and when there's the one person that will do it, well, hey, let's just let them keep doing it because yeah,
1: so yeah, you want to do it. So I don't know what motive. So I guess the motivation is that people have to change the way the industry is going. The only way that it will change is if someone does something and if no one else is doing it, then you've got to step in and start doing it. Mm. So I guess it's my motivation is the lack of motivation of others.
0: (laughs) 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 You're just teasing things so... Differently to other people, it's awesome. I love it. <laughs> All right, what's your guilty pleasure?
1: Yeah, you know, move on.
0: <laughs> I'm talking about like wine or a stinky sausage roll or
2: something. <laughs> oh, God.
1: <laughs> um. I know other people's guilty pleasures. Other other people's guilty pleasures might be like coming out to work for me and sneaking a McDonald's hamburger. <laughs> that might be their guilty pleasure. Um, uh, look, I, I, I don't know. Sometimes I splurge on a good meal, but that's not really something that makes me feel guilty. <laughs>
0: wow. It's something you enjoy doing, I guess. That's right. How do you relax? No, should I say, do you relax?
1: <laughs> do I relax? You're um, always so busy. Yeah, I, look, I've picked up gardening a little bit. Okay. Um, just do a bit of redesign gardening. I do really like being out in the garden and just weeding away there.
2: Mm. Something on
1: a nice sunny day. Um, that's probably about it these days. Most of the time is keeping the business running.
0: Yeah. it tough. you got a decent crew there now, though.
1: There's, there's still lots of um, theoretical training to do. I mean, even after three years um, for some and um, she's going to be listening to this, hi. <laughs> you know, there's still lots and lots of theory which... I haven't been able to pass on, you know, yeah. because we're so busy working the standard stuff, mm. the routine operations, that I can't get the time to stop and work on the other important things yeah. to drive expansion in other areas. Yeah, you know, there's one which, thing about which... encourage. There's one thing about encouraging someone to go um, you and know, think about their own profession and say, all right, you're skilled in this, you're skilled in that, think of something we can do. There's another thing about sitting down and saying, right, here's how we can integrate that into this.
0: Yeah. It's hard when you're so busy. Um, You know, you're not the only company that's like that, that, Hmm. you know, you you want to invest more in your staff or you want them to learn new things or whatever it may be. And you're just so busy that, that that you it's hard to make time because you. I mean, everyone to knows business running.
1: Everyone knows that that owner operators work long hours, yeah. right? And there's there's and it takes us all these all those owner operators are special people, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess it really depends on whether they're stagnating or whether they're progressing. Mm. Um, and if you're stagnating, it's either time to. Let your younger people come in and take over and you step aside so that mm. your company has some growth and some viability. Yep. Um, if you're continuing to grow, um, it's a matter then of being able to build that person, those people, to step in and start running it independently so that yeah. you can take more time to provide them that mentorship and education in in. in broadening their thought processes about a company and mm. how a company should operate.
2: Yeah.
1: Because there are so many things out there in small business that are, that many people just don't follow or do. I mean, not to, not only is there your tax uh, situations to follow, but there's all those work health and safety regulations and policies and mm-hmm. governance documentation mm-hmm. is the killer of any yeah. small business. And uh, mm. I, I hate to... I hate to go and review um, an electrician, you know, a sole operator, sole trader, electrician or plumber and say, are you following all these guidelines and documents that we're following as a small business? And I bet you that they have no time to even look at it, let alone understand all of it. Yeah. You know?
2: Mm.
0: That's why you find that these small companies that you're sitting there doing all that and, your little minions are out there doing them <laughs> doing everything else because you're you're just got your head in in the in the paper in the sand. That's right. Oh, sand. <laughs> yeah, maybe you do. <laughs> oh. I right. did go out and
1: buy myself a metal detector so I can go to the beach and just relax, walking up and down the beach. My wife says I don't understand that she doesn't understand fishing, but I guess fishing is not about catching fish; it's just about. Being out there listening to waves breaking around rocks, and you now you might get a tug or two on the on the fishing line. I don't care if I catch anything or not, but I'm outside. i in the breeze, you know. Yeah, Yep.
0: Yeah. Does she think you're out in the water all the time? Why do you want to be out there again?
1: <laughs> no, no, that's what I think. <laughs> People go, oh, you got a boat, you go out fishing and doing all this all the time. I say, I don't want to be out on a boat, <laughs> and I'm, I'm relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. In the rocks,
0: <laughs> do you find anything? Do you get anything with your metal detector?
1: I've only just got it, so I'll find oh. out later.
0: Oh, let's see what you come up with.
1: <laughs> only my own jewelry that I throw out in the backyard, so I can find it again. <laughs> it's, it's, good fi- it's good for finding those buried um, buried survey marks. Yes, hmm. yes.
0: I um, I never really thought about that or. Even heard much about it until I started having more contact with, um, you know, on social media people in America and stuff. They're using them all the time, mm-hmm.
2: and
0: I'd never even thought about it when I was surveying with Jack and everything. It was like, yeah, just dig a hole and find your mark. Dig a hole,
1: and if you missed it, dig another one. <laughs>
0: exactly. You'd be yeah. in the army
1: if you were doing that. <laughs>
0: Well, lucky I didn't join then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you see a puddle on the ground, would you walk around it, jump over it, or jump in it? Jump over it. Mm, okay.
1: See, that's your first quick answer for one of your questions tonight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they should get quick quicker now.
1: Mind you, well, the I haven't really I,
0: asked many questions,
1: really. There were two puddles on my bush walk the other day. One was quite large and walked around. The other one was relatively small and I jumped over. So, which one do you want? Is the puddle big or small?
0: Or is it deep?
1: But you wouldn't know unless you did step in it. Yeah, I know. No. Or, st- or put a stick in it.
0: Do you and know And then what? you'd be it's... a
1: hydrographic surveyor if you put a stick <laughs> in it. <laughs>
0: Let me just measure the depth before I decide what I'm going to do. That's right. (laughs) These people that overthink questions.
1: Right, well, now you've got your answer and you've got it split now. Big puddle, small puddle. I gave you two examples.
0: Perfect. (laughs) All right, at a party, where would someone find you?
1: Uh, Probably leaning on a post or a wall or something like that. (laughs) yeah i got back problems from lifting all that survey equipment
0: (laughs) with a beer or two in your (laughs) hand maybe, or a nice glass of wine
1: or maybe a nice glass of wine or a beer yeah Yeah, one or the other
0: all right give me three words that describe you
3: complicated
0: oh
3: yep um
1: Some would say pedantic.
0: Okay. Yep. Say that.
1: I guess I can't use precise because that could hinder too many other, well, um, that could link up too many things. (laughs) Okay. You can call me overthinker then. I think overthinker
0: or thinker. I don't know if I overthink. Think, no, a thinker.
1: A thinker I, I, I think I think I'm I think cautiously about my responses. Yes. Um, well, and I can give you an example here. I was an expert witness at, at a case which uh-huh. I can't mention.
3: Yeah.
1: And I was asked a I was asked a question about if you set the if you set the tracking on the um, chart plotter to you know let's say one second versus a minute yeah um would it would it uh provide you more detail right now the simple answer is yes it would provide you more detail the next question was if it was set at one minute could the person travel outside of an area and then come and and that would track them adequately and i said and i had to think about it and said well Depends on the speed that they were traveling because effectively you could go outside of the area that you're defined to go in and come back in before the next fix is done. Mm. Or if you're traveling at a certain speed, you could go out, you could be fixed outside the area and then come back in. And one of the people from the opposition who happened to be sitting in in the stalls listening to the testimony, blurted out, just answer the question. Now, I held my tongue because what I could have done was I could have identified that person and talked to the, to the uh, three, um, what do they call them in that? Not adjudicators, um, whatever.
2: Yeah.
1: I could have just mentioned that they had made a comment out of there and got them in trouble, but I didn't. But the point is that, yes,
2: mm-hmm. I
1: do think about what I need to say in certain circumstances. Yeah.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. So you could say I'm an overthinker, but I like to think that um, I'm contemplating the answer because and this is what I was saying earlier about using the wrong terminology or the wrong word yeah. or yeah. you know providing yeah. the wrong connotation or perception. Yeah. You could say perception management is one of my my things.
2: Definitely
1: that, that I that I concentrate on a fair bit. Mm. Um, you know, so, and, and I can run off another example for you. There's, there's a, uh, on ships, you have a, an EOD locker on, on the upper decks, which has explosives in it normally, and that's for ready access, a ready use locker. And even though we had emptied out all the explosives, it still has, you know, ex- exclusion zone and no smoking zone, et cetera. And there was, um, there was an officer who was standing nearby smoking Mm -hmm. and the perception was that they were smoking within the area of a locker which they shouldn't be smoking and now he knew the locker was empty because he was in charge of the locker Mm
2: -hmm. but
1: the people walking by didn't know the locker was empty. So perception management is important.
2: Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah.
0: I think that's where, where it comes back to. I think you... Being in the navy for so long, I think you it, it's it's amplified those things because you have to always be aware of the things that are happening because you're in these more confined spaces and stuff. Would that be mm-hmm. the case? Do you think? Or you? Yeah, always you're always
1: you're always paying attention to the small yeah, things. Yeah, small details mm-hmm. are important.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: and that's where people say I'm pedantic. <laughs> and I know, yes I get things
2: tomato.
1: no I get things wrong um and in my old age I start forgetting words these days so you know Ooh, me too. so I'm trying to think of the word and I say the wrong word and now my staff will pull me up and say that's not the right word Richard <laughs> and I go yes yes I know I know what I meant was." <laughs>
0: Oh, I sit there and can't even think of a word. I know it's just right on the tip of my tongue, and it just—I complete blanks. No,
1: yeah, it's, definitely.
0: Um, fuck's getting old. <laughs> um, are you organized or are you messy? <laughs>
1: uh. Most of the time I'm organised. Out of chaos comes order. (laughs) My filing systems are pretty good. My electronic record keeping is great.
0: What does your desk look like? Is it tidy?
1: It's stacked neatly. My paperwork (laughs) is stacked neatly.
0: (laughs) Not like mine. (laughs) It's stacked. (laughs) My
1: garage is organised and when Mm. I'm away, I can tell anyone which shelf (laughs) in what location my objects or whatever they're after can be located.
0: Unlike my husband. (laughs)
1: It's the only way that I can remember where all of my belongings are is by having them in key places.
0: Fair enough. What is one item that you could never live without?
1: Item. Hmm. Well, I think at the moment my one item is would have to be my laptop because I run my entire company from my laptop. So as an item goes, that would be, be the item.
0: Fair enough. And lastly, what would you do if you didn't have to go to work tomorrow?
1: Same thing I did when I uh, resigned from the Navy. I slept in. Nice. <laughs> I just didn't get up for three yes. or four days and just went, yeah. <laughs> I don't have to go anywhere. It's my company. I'll do what I want. <laughs> nice.
0: That would be so nice to do at the moment. Jeez. Well, anyway.
1: I don't pay myself overtime. I don't pay myself anything else.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So if I want a day off, I just take a day off.
0: I think you need days off at times.
2: Mm.
0: All right. That's it for the hard-hitting questions.
1: I'm going to have to plug my computer and stop recording there for a minute.
0: Are we good or?
1: I'm going to. Plug this in.
3: Done.
0: Okay, so quick shots. So basically it's a yes, no, hot, cold, whatever you think, left, right kind of thing, okay? Feel
1: right.
0: coffee. Yeah. Seal coffee.
1: Coffee.
0: Cat or dog? Dog. Sunrise or sunset? Mmm. You can say both. Sunrise
1: on the Timor Sea.
0: Oh, nice. Summer or winter? Summer. Roller coasters. Do you love them or hate them? Love them. Three items you would take to a desert island?
2: A boat?
3: (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) <laughs> and enough water
0: coming from the Navy guy here. <laughs> All right, favorite song or artist?
1: Mm. I'll go Elvis Presley.
2: Oh, okay, you
0: got a favorite movie?
1: Um,
2: Mm.
1: Very sleepless in Seattle
0: Oh, okay, interesting Favourite book?
1: Don't read books, read technical manuals
0: (laughs) 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 Introvert or extrovert?
1: Depends if I'm drunk or not.
0: (laughs) Okay, so is your glass half full or half empty?
1: (laughs) Is it the beginning or end of the party?
0: (laughs) Well,
2: well,
0: I don't know. Oh, dear.
1: Okay. find a solution to every problem. So Yes,
0: I know, I know. If,
1: if it's at the beginning of the party, then it's half empty and I need a top-up. If it's at the end of the party, then it's, you know, it's half full and I don't need any more Thanks.
0: <laughs> One thing you'd never do again.
3: <laughs> making you think.
1: Yeah. uh, (laughs) um, Throw a ball to my youngest daughter when she's swinging on a swing.
2: (laughs) No, did you knock her off?
1: No, she caught the ball, but obviously she took she took both hands off to catch the ball, and then flipped over backwards and broke both her arms.
0: Okay, yeah, that's probably something. Yeah, learn from that, people.
1: <laughs> Don't throw our ball a ball to a person on so the
0: screen. Uh, who knows you best?
1: You'd always have to say that your, your partner knows you best.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, you know, sometimes I can surprise them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd, I'd, no, that's a good question. No, I definitely have to say my partner.
0: Mm-hmm. Favourite subject
3: in school? Technical
1: drawing.
0: Ah, mm-hmm. favourite childhood memory?
1: US trip in 1980, or somewhere around about there. Mm-hmm.
0: What's your favourite food?
1: Old mandarin with no pips.
0: <laughs> wow. Interesting. Favorite drink?
1: A Jim Bean black label.
3: Okay. Straight. Rocks. Coke.
1: However, it's delivered. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Pet peeve.
1: Not learning after being told many times. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Good high five you on that one. <laughs> Win the lottery or
3: the perfect job?
1: How much is in the lottery? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Heaps and and when heaps and it, winning
1: enough to not worry about a exactly.
0: job. Exactly.
1: <laughs> then I'd, I'd, I'd go with the lottery because there's so many more things you can do than even with a perfect job.
0: Yep. I agree. Biggest fear? Heights. Oh, really?
1: It is now. It never used to be. Okay. It developed over time and I don't know why.
3: Hmm. Favorite sport?
1: Normally basketball, but got a bit boring lately. But anyway, basketball.
0: Morning or night person? Night. Proudest moment. Not throwing a ball at my daughter while she's on the swing.
1: <laughs> yeah, there are all those so proudest moment.
0: You can have a few. Usually there is.
1: You can always have a few. That's right. Um, well, there are a few. So when my wife got her master's, that was proud.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, when I got my master's, I was proud. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, when my... Um, When my daughter got her first job, no, it's my eldest daughter, got her Mm -hmm. first proper job, not like a Hungry Jack's job, things like that.
0: (laughs) I'm pretty proud that my last one got his first job.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, And um, I'm proud of my youngest daughter for the way that she's handling this whole Mm -hmm. COVID debacle and having to do university at the same time. You know, nice. Put up with the channel the challenge.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. On a scale of one to ten, how cool are you?
1: I try not to rate myself. <laughs> that's a very that's a bad question to ask.
2: <laughs> oh no. Because you have people funny.
1: going you have people going, oh you're very extrovert and out there, you know. Um, yeah, no, it's
0: pretty no. funny. <laughs> dream, dream car.
1: Well, they sort of change as technology rolls on, but I'm thinking mm-hmm. that, I'm thinking, that Tesla's looking pretty good at the moment. Mm-hmm. Although, hang on, I should roll back and say, I've always wanted a Mustang.
0: An old Mustang or a new Mustang?
1: An old Mustang.
0: Um, Proper like, Mustang.
1: Yeah. One of the V8s, you know,
0: yeah.
1: gas guzzler, you don't worry about the environment one.
0: Yep. yep. <laughs> you, um, hard top or convertible?
1: Uh, I think a hard top would be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Convertibles being been there, not there. Yeah.
0: Favourite colour? Red. Red. Apple or Android?
1: Uh, Android all the way. <laughs> you can't do anything with an Apple. How are you meant to change stuff?
0: No, you can't, can you? Lastly, what star sign are you?
1: You should know you've got my birth date there.
0: Where have I got your birth date?
1: I don't know. I just thought you might have Googled me. Gemini. (laughs) Gemini.
0: (laughs) Okay. Right.
1: See?
2: Two.
0: Yes, I can see this. (laughs) Oh, that's it. That's it for me. I'm done. Thank you so much for joining me today, Richard. That's oh, all right.
1: Thanks for having me. I hope this lines. edits out very well.
0: Oh no, I don't, you know, I don't edit.
1: Oh my God, you don't want to bore people that much. I do. <laughs> you got to take the good parts and throw away the bad parts.
2: I don't know, they're all good.
1: Oh, okay. Very everybody,
0: good. everybody, everybody gets a little bit out of everything. I've got a full-time job. I don't have time to edit.
1: <laughs> all right then. Excellent.
0: Start and finish. There we go.
1: (laughs) Excellent. Well, everyone out there, thanks for listening. Go and support your hydrographic surveys. And if you've got a capability to help education, go for it. Get out there and do it.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Where can people find
2: you?
1: Mm Hcsurvey.com.au.
2: Our
1: LinkedIn sites are there, our social media most of all what we do
0: beautiful we'll put those in the show notes thank
1: you thank you very much
0: i hope you enjoyed today's episode with richard i'll be taking a short break over the christmas and new year but don't worry i'll be back on the 5th of january with my good friend kent grow licensed surveyor geomatic survey manager at alta southwest and also host of the geoholics podcast I hope you all have a happy and safe Christmas and New Year.
1: Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox.